everyone, welcome to Book Conversations. We're your hosts, Sayed and I'm Mahmouda. Join us as we have conversations inspired by books. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Book Conversations. This episode's conversation is inspired by Quran Murad's In the Early Hours, a book on spiritual and self-development. In this episode, we're continuing with the discussion of the third chapter titled Relating to Allah. If you're new to Book Conversations, every month we discuss a chapter from an Islamic book that we love and we've benefited from. You can listen to them as standalone episodes, but of course, feel free to listen to the earlier episodes as well. So this chapter is titled Relating to Allah, and it's all about how we, like characteristics that we need to hold on to Allah and the obstacles that could be in our path when it comes to holding on to Allah. What I loved about this book or what I love about the book is the practicality of it like he doesn't just recommend stuff i think we've said, i've said this before in previous episodes but he doesn't just recommend or do this to that he recommends and then he tells you all of the ways in which you can do it and then all of the things that can hinder you from doing it and it's such a timely read because i remember on friday i read this article that a friend shared on something called tragic optimism Ooh. versus um what's the phrase it's tragic optimism versus like I think a blinded positivity or this idea of like, oh, versus toxic positivity. So when people are going through something difficult, instead of telling them, oh, you need to look at the positive side of things, it's okay to acknowledge the difficulty, the negative situation, acknowledge that in this moment, this thing is bad. You didn't have to like then dismiss it and say, oh, just be thankful. Because not everybody is thankful for Corona, for example, but I guess you can be thankful for the lesson that would come, that comes out of your ultimate experiences. So they shared about how, um, for example, they did research and it was quite interesting to see that even during COVID, a lot of people, the people who said that they had things that they were grateful for, they were the ones most likely to have like good health, if that makes sense. And they were also the ones who were more optimistic. And um, so the article was just saying that we should practice gratitude. And no, actually, we should practice gratefulness. So he was giving them a difference between gratitude and gratefulness. So he was like, gratitude is Ooh. just an emotion in the moment. Okay. Whereas gratefulness is more like how you live your life it's an overall orientation of how you see things and not based on something happening to you but a way that you arrive to life so that's kind of the term that they use that's how they explain it so they gave an example of some skill called an existential gratitude skill and some of the examples of like the things on the scale would be something like i'm grateful for my life even in times of suffering or i'm grateful that my inner resources have increased as a result of overcoming adversities i'm grateful for the people in my life even for those who have caused me much pain i mean again it takes a lot to arrive at this point but they're saying focus on like being grateful as opposed to moments where something happened that then leads you to feel gratitude yeah think about all like all the ways you can constantly be thankful and the reason why i say this is because one of the characteristics or the first characteristic that Quran mentions in terms of what we need to hold on to allah is thankfulness to allah um, and i was just thinking when i was reading i was just thinking about how there will or there are times of intense difficulty where you struggle to see something to be grateful for and um, and it's just the constant reminder that allah will never ever first of all allah created us from a place of love yeah and it will never leave you to your own devices hopefully mm-hmm. and also and hopefully it will you will never <laughs> i'm just joking you will never leave it to your own devices yeah. and also just the fact that allah 
will never it will never put you through something that you can't bear right in the moment again it's difficult to think about how you can bear that you can even be thinking god why do i need to learn this lesson i already learned it from this experience from before but then it's the i think one thing the article article was saying was recognize that moment acknowledge that moment be okay with it yeah um and then think about reorienting yourself or reorientating yourself into a mode of of gratitude so one of the quotes not from the book but from the article which i found interesting was um by one of the researchers who said to deny that life has its share of disappointments frustrations losses hurts setbacks and sadness would be unrealistic and untenable Mm. life is suffering no amount of positive thinking exercises would change this this truth yeah so it's just saying before you start forcing people to turn around and like focus on the positive allow them to experience these things and this emotions and then orient themselves towards seeing how this could lead to i guess healing or just living a better life and one of the favorite one of my favorite items on that score was literally the part where he said I am grateful that my inner resources have increased as a result of overcoming adversities because inner work is the one that we don't see the most. But then yeah. when you go through something and, for example, you develop resilience, it allows you to be able to cope with another situation that might arise in the future. Um, so I just think about how some of these things allow us to do a lot of inner work or inside work, which we might not see on the outside, but actually makes a world of a difference, right? Because they make up a big part of who we are and how we respond to situations in the future, basically. But yeah, that was a very big part for me. Um, that's a really good point because I think it's true like you do have to try and adopt gratefulness as an orientation like you 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 don't have to wait for things to be like terrible to like to remind yourself to be grateful which kind of reminds me of the the book that I was reading the inferno one and she was talking about um like while she was committed in the ward like writing a list of the things that she missed so like a husband her child etc but then it just got me thinking about like the the daily blessings that we don't even that we don't think about there's, mm-hmm. there's so much you know how last one class says if we wanted to count his blessings we could never and, and of it's, course there's never been a true statement because there's a lot that we we take for granted in our for lives granted. but yeah like that yeah. prompted me to write a list of things in my life that I'm like every single day I'm expressing gratitude to Allah for because otherwise you just you just move about life forgetting there's, there's a lot of blessings mm-hmm. in the small things. There's this video that someone shared in a WhatsApp group of this guy who was colorblind and his wife on the day of their wedding got him glasses because apparently they're really expensive. And that was the first time he could see color. And you realize just, and he was so amazed, like so emotional. And he was naming different colors and just saying, I have to get, I have to get used to this. And you just think to yourself, man, like I see so much every day that I just take for granted. Like you don't think about the fact that you can see color as a huge blessing but it really is mm-hmm. it's when you mm-hmm. see people who perhaps mm-hmm. don't have the same thing that you're deprived like, of yeah yeah that yeah. you're like oh my god so i i like that point that the article is making that gratitude has to be an orientation when things are great in our lives because then it prepares us for yeah like other other moments in our lives and i also like that you know every time i i read the definition of kufr as covering up allah's blessings because you know like a lot of times you translate like kufr as like being a disbeliever but being mm-hmm. a, actually so intimately tied to being ungrateful that mm-hmm. it shakes me that you're like god the walk the the path to disbelief is very easy because it starts with being ungrateful so yeah i think it's yeah it's a, it's a powerful powerful reminder about yeah that's one of the reasons i'm a big fan of like gratitude journaling as mm-hmm. a daily practice because i feel like once you get into the habit it's gonna come slightly easier not 
very easy but slightly easy when you're going through something difficult where the world seems bleak and you can't seem to find something that you're thankful for because yeah. you've got it gotten into the practice of looking for those things you might find it a little bit easier to think about at least three things hmm. that you're still thankful for even in this moment of of life being bleak and the hadith that he that um Kola Murad um put in the book it's such, yeah, it's such a great one to be reminding ourselves all the time where the Prophet said, how wonderful is the case of a believer? There's good for him in everything. And this applies only to a believer. If prosperity attends him, he expresses gratitude to Allah and that is good for him. And if adversity befalls him, he endures it patiently and that is better for him. It's one of my favorites to do. I mean, I have a lot of favorites, but I really <laughs> like this one because that's the one I think about. Sometimes like, if I even bump my toe, one little thing happens to me yeah i'm like oh there is something there there's something there adversity yeah. before she did your the reason why this hadith is so important and it relates to the article that you're talking about i feel like with the with the movement of positive thinking we've fallen into the trap of all i need to do is think positively and nothing bad will happen but that's actually not how life that's works like no amount of positive thinking can change certain things that are decreed for you and it can actually break you yeah because when you you keep thinking oh if i think positively if i do do this and do that then nothing bad's gonna happen but then bad things are gonna happen that's how the world is wired and so he just it just literally shatters all of your expectations i guess and that uh-huh. can lead you to a darker place than like if you've just been practicing and being aware that life is full of suffering that's just what the dunya is i guess yeah like being positive have positive expectations but we also have to be grounded in in the sense that adversity sometimes will come painful challenges will come and so we yeah, need i mean a lot prepares us in the quran i mean you can never be fully prepared for adversity but it tells us over and over again do you think you'll be made to say you believe without being tested we're going to be tested yes with exactly. everything so um, i think it's important to just have that in mind as like the balance on the scale whilst being positive Love it. So the second characteristic of holding on to Allah is worshipping Allah. And he sort of talks about it being like doing doing all of our actions exclusively for the purpose of attaining Allah's pleasure. I love that part as well. Same. Because I think it's just it's such a it's such a good reminder because you just have to like you just sit down and you think and reassess about all your actions. Like, OK, what other conflicting intention might be at play? How do I make sure that I'm renewing my intentions? All of those things. Um, and there's a quote where he says, your culp cannot be compartmentalized. You cannot dedicate one piece of it to Allah and another to some other God, like wealth, status, career, spouse and so on. Like the love for Allah mm, has to be. I love the uh, mm-hmm. uh, almost like the filter through which everything else comes like that's the main goal and then all of those other things like when you're pursuing wealth you know you're doing it for the for the purpose of like pursuing Allah when you're when you're getting married you know that you're doing it for the purpose of like attaining Allah's pleasure because like you know that's what he wants so all of those things have to be filtered through the love of Allah it's not that they have competing competing status in your hearts which yeah I I just loved the reminder we should always make intentions even on the little things we're going to do even the things that we don't see as act of worship Mm. because like Allah gives us so many avenues to end rewards and also like I feel like when you think about when you make the intention of doing something to please Allah whatever it is you're doing you're inviting Allah to put his barakah in it for you and there's nothing better than having God's barakah in whatever you do remember I think uh Ustad Imam Omar Suleiman had a tweet the other day about just like 
when Allah's barakah is in your work, it can do something that will take some people 10 hours in two hours. And I, I just absolutely agree with that. Like God's barakah. And that's one of the reasons why I always try as much as I can to never ever do anything that would lead to a compromise. I mean, there are things that can take away God's barakah from what you do. But I think when you make the intention of like oh i'm cooking for the sake of allah oh i'm getting married for the sake of allah um, my job i'm doing it for the sake of allah i think that you're inviting god's baraka and god's pleasure and it also keeps you grounded yeah at moments where you're being made to choose between one not so great things or when you're going to be made to compromise your principles you have to ask yourself why was i doing this in the first place and then that kind of reorients you to choosing and making the right decision so yeah i really liked that same I think yeah getting clear on the why is so important and also the point that he was making about we're not just people who do outward actions like there has to be sincerity like there's no point in just doing stuff but then the the value of it is lost because your intention isn't in the right place and I thought yeah like that's a good that's a good reminder of checking ourselves with everything that we're doing that even if, if you're physically present as you're doing something is your heart present as well and I think that kind of like distraction yeah that distracted state of oh i'm multitasking but then just making sure that your heart is present and we're not like dividing our attention with certain things actually that also reminded me of what you said just the point or the need to slow down when we're doing stuff and not rush through i was thinking about it i don't remember remember what i was doing i was reading some article for some research and i was like oh my god it's taking a while because of the way i read right i read to take in every word and then highlight and the right questions and i was just thinking oh there must be a quicker way to do this but then i was like but if i do it quicker it means i didn't actually allow myself to really absorb the process of and then i was just thinking about like the expectations that we place in ourselves or all on other people to deliver content to deliver stuff mm. quickly but then that takes away from fully actually experiencing this act right um but it just made me conscious of like the need to slow down in whatever you're doing and also the fact that you can never rush success or you can never rush what god has would for you so why not just take your time with the process and then live the rest with god basically shout out to you i forgot i forgot the title <laughs> Hurry, the one that we did earlier in the year, and how he was talking about how hurrying is not. I know, yeah, yeah. I've got the book. I swear, I'm like, why did I forget the name of the book? But it was a very, very good book. The myths of no, the myths of something. No elimination of hurry. Oh yeah, they're good. Elimination. Alive in a spiritually something world. Anyway, go and listen to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like it. That was a good, good episode. I love it. I'll read that book again because I love the way he he was very aware of so many different things and how he also continued to give examples from his life and he wasn't like in a bubble. It was also like the different suggestions he gave. Again, a very practical book to read, I would say, by John Mark Cormer. Yeah, I'm going to listen to the episode again as we end the year. And mm-hmm. actually think, actually, that's a good point. Have I gone back or forward as far as hurry is concerned? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I'm trying to slow down a lot, even with writing, because I find that when I slow down with writing, I actually just, it allows me to not only enjoy the process. And I know that people say, like, you write a first draft like quickly, but I actually find that I enjoy the process more when I'm not rushing to finish the book, mm-hmm. when I'm just like trying to get through just, for example, this chapter or this scene or this page and it makes me actually place myself in that scene sometimes it is emotionally taxing but it in the overall side of scheme of things i think it's benefits more than it like takes away from 
Okay. I think it goes back to what uh, oh I think we were probably talking about this before we start recording about like our attitude towards time and how we we we've kind of orientated it towards a particular kind of productivity which is about quantity like producing producing mm-hmm. whereas like mm-hmm. there are actually areas in our lives where it needs to be about quality and the slowing down of things that like, it's not pacey pacey. It's very interesting you say that because last year or this year actually this year actually slash last year I did this essay this article um with a friend at uni called um something to do with doing diversity work in higher education yeah one thing that resonated a lot with those who were like the activists of color who's been working on this for ages is the idea of slow work like slowing down in research in just and they, they talk about it in terms of being in academia and there's this need for quantity quantity in terms of the papers that have been written and how that kind of your status depends on how many papers you've written right but then that means you're not putting care right when you do slow work it means you're actually more careful in the way that you approach things in the way that you speak to people you don't treat people as just commodities you actually take into consideration their actions and so on. so i read it it's, it's so interesting and um, because when you work from that point, it brings a lot of depth to what you're doing. But the sad thing is that, unfortunately, we exist in a capitalistic society and that can also impact the work you're trying to do. So you, it would be for you to like benefit from doing slow work, for example, it'd be beneficial if you work in an organization that has a similar standpoint. Otherwise, then you risk like losing your job or just not losing opportunities and so on, right? Because there's an expectation to continue to produce and produce and produce. Anyways, I think it's very interesting that people should experiment the idea of slowing down in different areas of their lives. Maybe not in everything you do, but just see how you feel when you slow down and just internalize like, oh, I'm doing this for the sake of Allah, for example, and just take the time to enjoy that process. Right. Yeah. Um, And I think when you slow down, you're more likely to do things with ihsan than when you don't slow down. There's a different kind of care. What you're saying about treating treating people as commodities, it reminded me of... um, Kobe Bryant and how like his wife found out that he had died through TMZ and it's that thing of I want to be the first person to break the news like everything in the world right right now is like I move fast first person and then to correct do later it. yeah it's like move fast and then correct later it's really when, sad that shouldn't especially when you're dealing with people's lives that shouldn't be the case and again it's it's how sometimes hurry takes away care and it takes away like humanity from, mm-hmm. from the process mm-hmm. of things because mm-hmm. I just think no wife should ever have to find out that her husband's died through a tabloid newspaper like there's just no dignity there wait for her to even be the one to announce it by herself but no 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 yeah no, to be the one to even give the family the grace nah they were God. like nah we're gonna do this our way so I think what, what you're saying is true like the the focus on hurry does it interface in different areas in our lives not just virtually and that example about lecturers is so true. And I think just generally, if you if you are in a workplace where the, um, the value is on quantity over quality and your your own personal value is the opposite, it will create a lot of tension in your life. Like it will create a lot of tension in how, how you show up at work. How you deliver work as well. I think one of the examples that they gave was how, for example, if you want to acknowledge the fact that people learn differently and people absorb knowledge differently, it means that you'd have to show up differently to them. You cannot just give everybody a worksheet and say, do it. And then those who didn't do it well, it's because they're not serious, they're not listening. You have to actually slow down in actually trying to come to terms with how some people slow up picking up stuff. And maybe you would find something different or find a different way to get people to engage in 
like the learning process, but just don't rush for the sake of all, because again, a lot of these schools have quotas they have to meet. So there was, that was an example an art school was given. They have a quota they have to meet for, I mean, we get this many grades and this percentage, right? So they're not thinking in terms of all oh, individual students need to learn and absorb, whereas some teachers, that's the kind of practice that they want to have in their classroom and again as you said that clashes and that leads to tension and so on and so on and then becomes a thing that the teacher is not doing their work because they're not reaching the quota and this quarters that we're setting is again for capitalistic gains it's a whole cultural reorientation that we need yeah it is but you'd be surprised like how not surprised but it's interesting like there are people who want to do the work right who want to start thinking differently but first of all, you they exist, they exist in a society that's capitalistic, which doesn't give them the time due to certain things. So maybe I have kids I have to care for, which means I still have to go to work and show up. And so even if I want to think differently and do things differently, if my first and foremost priority or concern is will I be able to still bring money, food, whatever to the table for these people, mm. right? Which would then probably affect the time I can commit, unfortunately, to so and so. So not everyone has, I guess, the privilege of being able to pick and choose. Uh, okay, so the third part is love of Allah. And there's this idea of like concept of if you love someone, you want to get closer to them and spend more time with them. And how salah is what helps, like it's one of those ways of us spending time with Allah, which I, I really, really love because it's so true. Like thinking about our time. Oh, I was, um because I, I, oh my God, I hope it's not gone. I paid for this course with Iqbal Nassim on salah. Honestly, one of the best courses. I haven't even finished it, but just the first four sections. And one of the things that he he tells you to think about before you pray is what message is your salah sending to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Or like what message do you want your salah to send to Allah? In the sense of like, if you're standing in your salah and your mind is in a hundred different places, what message does that send mm. to Allah about like, the importance or the or the care that you've placed on your interaction with him yeah and I thought oh that was such a good that's such a good thing because you have to think about salah as like oh it's my time to spend with Allah like it makes it cute yeah <laughs> it like, does it does so I, I I like that thing of like think of it, when you love someone wanting to spend time with them is a manifestation of that what are your thoughts like I have a huge interest in like the love of Allah and like knowing Allah like it's one thing I'm very very passionate about like getting people to understand how your life transforms when you think of Allah from a place of love yes I know that you should also think about hope and fear but like I think it's nice to be grounded in approaching Allah from a place of love yeah because then there's so many things that you're not going to do when you see Allah from a place of love there's so many things that become slightly easier because think of Allah from a place of love I remember reading something recently where somebody was like oh she was struggling a lot with some things and she remembered like some of the sins that she'd committed and she was sharing that with her friend and I think a friend was I think you probably you probably read this somewhere but as well but anyways the friend was like um Allah is not out to get you like Allah is not a you do something and then I repay you back for that thing that you did kind of God and it's it's very very I guess calming and grounding to know that because human beings are usually sometimes like that like you did something and then you worry about how somebody will be out to get you like yes there are repercussions and consequences in islam right but then a lot also is the all forgiven and he always leaves that door open for you Mm -hmm. Um, and so when something bad is happening to you for example your first thought should not be or maybe it's that thing that I did that day and God is now punishing me or showing me that maybe I shouldn't have done that and I should have thought differently and I think just thinking about Allah from a place of love just helps you to it helps you to see life from a more positive standpoint I would say and so I did like that because it's when you love Allah that you're able to hold on to Allah you see the relationship as something that's worth working on worth nurturing what developing what building Um, and yes you're gonna falter you're gonna 
make mistakes and so on but then ultimately you would want to go back to pleasing Allah right yeah if love of Allah is centered if your practice or your worship is centered on the love of Allah so speaking of love of Allah it's a really good segue to the fourth one which is about becoming Hanif and the like someone who caught who cuts themselves off from falsehood and belongs only to Allah and I love how like the book mentions, actually. yeah the book mentions that the the concept of Hanif is mentioned 10 times and six times with reference to Prophet Ibrahim which is amazing because he really exemplify what it means what it means to be totally and absolutely devoted to Allah like in every way like when you think about getting thrown into the fire leaving mm-hmm. um, i was literally about to say the kind of the kind of faith he has was he had was unshakable yes like unshakable subhanallah oh that's why he was called the friend of allah because he like even hajar and his son and then like when he's asked when he when he has a dream about the sacrifices what and actually wanting to that one oh god of submission like it's a it's yeah. a Touch. But then the way he raised the son, the point where the son was also like, if that's your what your Lord wants, then yeah, okay with it. It was just subhanallah. Because we can talk about things, these things in theoretical terms, but I think it's always amazing when you. But he actualized at, it. Yeah, when you look at the way people actualize it, and I think it makes you think about okay, so like the different ways that I need to be submitting more. So the book talks about how qualities from his life, love for Allah, and then having complete complete trust. And tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Think about the fact that, so again, just thinking about adversities or suffering is we make dua to Allah to give us some of these traits and these skills, but they don't come without you having to overcome a test or go through adversity because that's how you prove that you can you actually mean what you say you mean you want mm-hmm. or that's also how you learn to develop that particular skill so if you say Ya Allah please grant me patience and make me among those who are the most patient and therefore beloved to you because Allah loves those who are patient yeah. then Allah could give you tests or situations that require you to have intense patience right and that's how you prove that you're right in that da'a and you working on your patience is you actualizing that da'a that you've made to Allah because you said, give me the means or teach me to be patient. And he's giving you a difficulty or whatever it is he's given you. And you have then obviously the responsibility or just take a step back. Yes, it's difficult. Difficult situations are difficult, but just take a step back and reflect and ask, what is what could Allah be trying to teach me from this difficult experience that's not yeah. to say you shouldn't use the resources you have around you or the people you have or support system that's not to say you can't cry about it but just remember that ultimately you should think about what Allah is trying to teach you from it and also when we're in difficulty it's also Allah's way of reminding us to come closer to him call yeah. on him because he's the one that will get us out of whatever it is that we're going through so it's actually triple multiple reward blessing system because you would get patience eventually from this but you also get closeness to Allah because you're making the art of Allah and inshallah Allah will be pleased with you so I guess it's a even though it's difficult to see in the moment I think adversity can come with a lot of blessings as well it's like a leveling up, isn't it? Exactly. Like it, it strengthens your different muscles. And I think, yeah, like when you do think about the seed of the Prophet and the different experiences that he went through. Yeah, it's true. Like it it develops, it develops your empathy, it develops your heart, keeps you humble. It brings you closer to a lot and it teaches oh. you to what call. Yeah. 
because you with every adversity you realize there's literally only a lot that can get me out of it and slowly but surely you start to trust him and him alone first and foremost it becomes a person or the being you go to first when something happens and then you consult people and then hope that Allah would guide them towards helping you attain a better result or something yeah 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 I agree last one jihad striving in the path of Allah and the first thing I thought when I read this I'm like it actually makes me so sad that the word jihad has been associated with such terrible things in the world because the concept of like striving in the path of Allah is so different from what this world has turned the concept of jihad towards. There's an ayah that, that he mentions in the book. It's from Surah Al-Hujurat. It says, indeed, the ones possessed of true faith are those who believed in Allah and his messenger. And then they did not entertain any doubt and strove hard in the way of Allah with their lives and their possessions. These are the truthful ones. Because, yeah, like jihad is about understanding that we belong totally to Allah, our life, our wealth, everything that we possess. Mm-hmm. And so all of that is about we should be using it in devotion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I just think, man, like considering some of these countries and their absolutely unethical ways of being, what a shame where jihad has been hijacked. So I was just laughing because when I first read it, I just remembered my family friend whose name is Jihad. Oh, Lord, how does he name <laughs> He's never getting flagged. Right, so she, so her name is Jihad and her brother's name oh, was, oh, may Allah grant him Jannah. His I, brother's name was Mujahid. Oh, Lord. So imagine oh, Lord. the mom literally gave them. Where were they born? In Nigeria. No, I, I mean, when? Was it before 9 11? No, when were they born? Yeah, so she, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right. one of them is, was born in, I think, 91 and the other oh. was 97. Yeah, oh, that was destined. That was, I mean, no, but she loves her name. Yeah, as she should, as she should. Exactly, because she had that's a different meeting. That's a different question, isn't it? Yeah. So, so I have another friend who's called Jihad, but hers is spelled with a D in front of it. So D J I H A D, as opposed to just J I H A D. So when she's traveling at the airport, we call her D J. To uh, pre- oh, prevent oh. any issues. Yeah, oh, it's DJ. Oh my dear. <laughs> but her name oh. is Jihad. Wow, I've never actually heard of someone having that name, so it's so interesting. And I just think about every time I read it, I'm just like, oh god, oh. the struggle of having a name like this in this world. In this someone calls the name up. In, imagine if you're at the airport and you're somewhere far away, someone's trying to get your attention. They're like, Jihad. <laughs> oh my <laughs> Oh, subhanAllah. Oh, uh, the, the meaning of the name is so beautiful, but it's just, yeah, the way the world is set up right now. It doesn't help. Around, it doesn't help. In the opposite direction, yeah. Yeah, yeah. oh, bless. Allah make it easy. One of my favorite parts about this section was the emphasis on acquiring knowledge. And I love that it didn't limit it to just acquiring knowledge of the deen as it as it should be, right? In Islam, mm-hmm. it, you're supposed to impact whatever society that you live in, wherever you find yourself. Yeah. And I love that he emphasized that being aware of current news, being aware of the problems of the Muslim, but then also acquiring knowledge of the deen so that you too can become someone who starts to write solutions to problems facing Muslims based on the knowledge that you have gained. Um, so I really, really loved, I loved that section a lot, actually. Same, I like that too, because Muslims should be sometimes people society. And I think sometimes yeah. Yeah, our lack of knowledge of the deen fully. Oh my God, inshallah, inshallah, if I actually like if I actually have children, 
um, they're going to be going to school and like a fully like a Islamia program, right? Right from early yes, because I think yes, so much sense. Like by the time you're 18, for example, you've learned so much about Islam, and it actually it grounds your decision making when you then leave home to be independent. I think it's nice that you're able to think from an Islamic standpoint from a young age, and mm. um, as opposed to learning it later on. Because again, the, the way we've been made to see it, the Western knowledge as the single source of truth, which is one thing I loved about that book, didn't touch my head. But that's a different conversation. But it's just how you've been made to see the Western source of knowledge as a single source of truth, and therefore, but then when you come with an upbringing or a background, background and grounded in Islamic knowledge, when something is presented to you, you don't have to accept it as it is. You're allowed to then criticize and dissect and say, but mm, I know differently from so-and-so and so. Like the concept of like, like psychology, for example. And I remember like when I started learning Islamic psychology, how much of a, a beautiful experience it was and how I loved that that was the first thing I was doing before going to actually just learn psychology on its own because the way that things are westernized it dismisses other ways of being and other cultures and our, like other forms of knowledge and so on um so i think what you say is so important because it allow it equips the kids or the to with different ways of seeing the world so that when they go to uni they will not be afraid to challenge what they see they will then also use this vast knowledge of islam to like lead us towards better directions because i feel like if this western people had come together with muslims when i read a lot of read a lot of things where i'm like it would have been far better as a society would have come up with far more innovations if this people had collaborated with muslims mm. instead of trying to take about the world and dismiss things and say this is not as good enough like that stupid cnn article that said if you fast twice a day twice a week <laughs> it helps okay. i'm like you should have gone to learn from the prophet so all these years now we're coming to this conclusion after 1400 years that we had already had that conclusion for ourselves no. like, I just think the world would have gone so far. I think about this from time to time, how far the world would have been if we just combined the teachings of Islam with like Western teaching or what, because it's all insight, right? And together this insight will lead us in a better direction. But no, 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 this one is better and that one is not better and so on. So it's quite interesting. I totally agree with what you say. I know. And I think especially for me, like, you know how everyone wants their children to be Hafids of the Quran, like memorize the Quran really, really young. Honestly, I think that's great. I don't want that. That is true. Mm -mm, I don't want that. I'll ask you later. I don't but want it because I, I don't like want Sira, them. To... Sira is one I what I want my children to be versed in it. I want them to memorize the Quran, yes. But honestly, I feel like learning the Sira at a young age, inshallah, will change your relationship with Islam because I feel like, first of all, like confidence, loving, loving, seeing what this religion looks like in practice. Because you know, sometimes when I'm like this book again talks about us practicing what we preach. And I think it's unfortunate that the kind of world that we live in sometimes. I just look at some of the conversations that we're having again because we're talking about Muslims being people who contribute to society and you were talking about oh like if Muslims and Western people had come together but Allah forgive me sometimes when I look at the conversations that we're having within our community I'm like we're very far behind because yeah. we're, we're still having conversations about whether Muslims should Muslim women should be in the mosque or not like is that yeah, is that the God. kind of God. No, but then I'm not talking about this Muslim. I'm talking about the Muslims from the time of Imam Ghazali when they're yeah. actually making discoveries they yeah, if they had then teamed up, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But tell me why. The reason why I was saying no in terms of Hafiz was it's beautiful to memorize the Quran and there are multiple benefits for those who memorize the Quran. And one of the reasons why I say no first is I want them to internalize the meaning of what they memorize. I mm-hmm. want to put weight and substance to this thing that you've memorized. Yes, it's 
the Quran is beautiful, amazing. I want them to memorize in the future, but I would want them to first have a good grounding in the religion. Mm. One of the things that transformed my relationship with Allah, for example, was listening to the surah by Sheikh Abdul Nasser Janda. I think I, yeah, oh. I recommend that surah to everybody I Ooh, know. God, same. Because okay. it transforms your relationship with Allah. It transforms the way you see the deen. It, it impacted you know how the, you have to, Allah said in the Quran you should love the Prophet right yeah and you'd be thinking how can I love the Prophet that that Sirah series teaches you how right because it starts from the beginning way back and takes you all the way through and the way he humanizes the Prophet I just and so I would want as you said the Sirah so I would want for my kids to first be grounded in in the Sirah in understanding the the religion right and also understanding some i'm not saying they should go learn arabic from start to finish but have a basic understanding of what these things mean so i don't want you to just focus on your memorization because again the quran should not be something that we mindlessly recite it's more it's knowledge you're gaining so you've memorized means you've gained all of this knowledge what are you doing with this knowledge and how does it impact your actions is what i want i would want my kids to be conscious about a lot I think that's the, the first and foremost for me is just the, the little grounding and just basic understanding of Arabic or just of, of what they're reading, yeah. of what they're memorizing before they just go on to just take everything and commit it to memory. Because what is the anthony of, of that? What's the benefit of that if it doesn't benefit their actions? Sometimes we forget that knowledge needs to manifest in the in character. I think the reason why, why I say um like emphasis on Sira is because when you're so young, that's such a... That's when you're building character. That's when you're building yourself. Um, but when students mind a blank section, you want to get that love in them very early on. So like later on, mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. are explaining obligations in the religion, it's not like, oh my God, now my mom's telling me to pray. Now she's like, I need to fart or like mm-hmm. I need to not, you know, hang around certain things or like do certain things. It's like there's that understanding mm-hmm. from it becomes day. normal. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not worried about being the odd one out because you have that grounding. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. And not to mention names, but there are specific somebodies who have memorized the Quran and then they've gone on to be perpetrators of evil Oops. in this world. And so therefore, so therefore, I just think it's again, it's important. I'm not saying that there are other things that shouldn't have been done, but I'm just saying first and foremost, this Quran you're memorizing, it's, it's knowledge and entire knowledge that should transform your soul. And just, just think about that when you decide to memorize the Quran. May Allah allow all of us to memorize the Quran as well. I mean, I mean, I mean, I think a lot about the Sahabas who would not learn a new surah. I remember reading something about a lot of the Sahabas. It took them long to memorize because they would try to implement again what they've learned yeah. before they moved on to memorizing a new part, chapter, or verse, or whatever. Because again, it's in the action. It's not just having the knowledge stored in your brain. What are you doing? Because that's the responsibility you're giving yourself. Allah will ask you, what did you do with all of this knowledge that you put in your head? So that's just not, not that I don't want them to memorize. I just want them to have a grounding and an understanding first and foremost before going on to memorization. Yeah. You can be memorizing and still, yeah, the learners. Yeah, little by little, but just not an intense program of focusing on just the memorization. Yeah. Because um, I'd rather they have an intense program and focus on actually understanding the religion and the prophet's life, so solemn and like other things than just on memorizing. The Quran, again, is beautiful. It's light. It's healing is so and so on but just i think it's important for them to know how this impacts them because some people memorize and then they don't see the point i remember some someone i know was just telling me i mean so many changes have happened in her life she Mm. used to do quite a few things in terms of the dean that she doesn't do anymore but then again her relationship with all of these things was because she was made to do it she was made to 
wear the hijab, she was made to learn the Quran, she was made to memorize the da-da-da. Um, and she didn't see the point in it at the point where she could think for herself or like left the house and could make her own decisions. For her, it was just like, like, what's the point? And what I would want is for them to see exactly, to see what the point is before they then go on to memorize some of these things. Because yeah, that's such beautiful wealth that you have. I mean, a lot guide us so. It is. Honestly, like, beautiful character is the greatest blessing that Allah can ever give anyone. Like, character that is... I agree. Yeah. That is conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's, it's wealth. It's wealth. Because, you know, yeah, like, there, there are people who don't understand Arab, Arab, like, they don't understand much of the meaning of the Quran, but the way they live their life and the character they interact with other people it's just it's exemplary it's transforming yeah, yeah. i think it's yeah. that yeah. it's the balance between all of those things may allah give us righteous children i mean and make us righteous mm. people as well um okay so the second main part of the book is about obstacles or character traits that affect our ability to hold on to allah so we talked about the things that help us to hold on to allah so this section about things that prevent us or serve as an obstacle and the first one was pride kibber to be honest yeah. i felt like this was much this was more of like a list type thing so the first one was pride kibber yeah, it was the also very explanatory was hypocrisy Oh, that's also i think that's a very scary one mm. the the one about like just the little things it would be a little swift change in your intention like a very tiny praying to show that oh sure that i'm praying or fasting yeah. so then i'm fa- it's so easy to get distracted by those thoughts and then all of a sudden your prayer is no longer for allah your fasting is no longer for allah so i think that was just something that was a good reminder to continue to i guess purify our intentions um and just to see how easy this can be and then the hadith that you um also put the i was very very powerful um the one where abu Rara reported that professor said among the signs of a, of a hypocrite uh, three even if he fasts and prays and claims to be a muslim when he speaks he lies when he gives a promise he breaks it and when he is trusted he betrays and um, i love that i remember the first time i heard this hadith i oh god it was just very interesting Mm. and i always try to make sure i'm not somebody who does not keep their word because people remember when you don't keep your word even if it's the littlest thing like oh i will give you even kids remember i'll give you this thing i'll do this thing for you and then you didn't end up showing up or doing it they're going to remember that that thing that you did or the fact that you don't keep your word um so i think it's important to just bear in mind also the fact that it's, it can oh, these days it's very easy to lie you could just say, oh, yeah, I'm just joking. Or, oh, I didn't mean it that way, or whatever. But just be conscious of how easy it is to lie and exaggerate stuff and all of those things. Just be aware. And I think having loads of secret deeds that are just between you and Allah. Important. It, yeah, like it helps as well. Like the more you do secret deeds that are just between you and Allah, the more you can, yeah, know that you, there's no kind of incentive to impress anyone. It's just, yeah, mm-hmm. between you and Allah. The third one pessimism and it says oh my god despair is an act of kufur so there's an ayah in the quran where allah SWT says who is it that despairs on the mercy of his lord except those who are astray and i just thought Ooh. that was intense wasn't it because in this day and age isn't it so easy to become so hopeless yeah yeah mm-hmm. and despair is actually just not a thing that we should ever fall into yeah yeah that shook me that shook me that shook me same that's quite interesting fourth one is uncontrollable anger and there's like loads of du'as in the sunnah about like making du'a to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us yeah with our emotions and also steps like Prophet also recommends when you're angry like things you can do changing um, your position if you're standing 
leaving the room if you might be triggering you might be in the same building as the person and you might just want to be in a different space just to like cool down mm-hmm. um, I think in that also just do something that distracts you from it because sometimes when you focus on a situation you escalate it in your mind beyond what it is entirely and yeah and so lots of teachings from the Prophet on how to control it and remember the hadith where it was like the strongest man is not the one who can fight everyone, but the one who can control his anger is a strong Because it takes a lot of restraint. It does. Not a it Especially when you're right. Or yeah, it's true. When you know you're yeah. right. Okay, so the fifth one is abuse of the tongue. So lying, slandering, backbiting, and obscenity. It's interesting how obscenity has become a normal thing. Oh my God. In this day and age. Yeah. Um, but that's all I'll say. <laughs> leave, like, that. leave it there. We're just gonna leave it there. And then the last one is lustful sexual passion. So, um, like not being able to control our desires and like transgressing the rounds of Allah is another thing that prevents us from our ability to hold on to Allah's Taala, which I think yeah is another is another current. Yeah, because there are many verses in the Quran that emphasize how Allah loves those who, or just like the reward for those who preserve their, guard their private parts. Yeah. So it's, it's a very big deal. I mean, Allah recommends like, yeah, and actually, yeah, and your tongue. It goes hand in hand a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. That is true. That yeah. is true. So um, And there's also recommendations, again, in the sunnah for those who cannot control like their sexual desires. Um, or those who are struggling to control their sexual desires. Yeah. is one of them. We're on to the favourite quotes section. So I, do you want to go next first? Yeah, sure. The first one is a hadith. And Prophet said, none of my companions should tell me anything about anyone for I like to meet any one of you with a clean heart. I love it so much. And I hate when, when people tell me about someone. I mean, if something happens to someone does something to you, feel free to share, right? But like, don't mention names, especially if it's someone that the person knows. Because subconsciously, it like, it, it colors the way you, exactly. And I will never forget how I remember, because I don't like when people do that, I immediately like distract or like close my hair. And I was yeah. somewhere, I think last year, two years ago. And someone, it was just one liner. She was like, oh, I don't like this guy. He likes to do, 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 do. Mm. And I've never thought about the guy in this way before, right? And I remember the next time I was with this guy, we're in a group. The first thing that I kept noticing or that kept jumping out at me was that little comment that she had made. And I was like, I don't want to notice this about this guy. I think I'm just, I'm assuming that this thing is there. Or I'm, I'm making it there because she had mentioned it and it made it so difficult to then get to a point where I could go back to relating to the sky from an objective standpoint it was so annoying because I was like I just I didn't need to hear it but it was just it was really important play out of like how it's important to avoid being told things about anything by anyone yeah because it just affects the way you treat them the way you look at them and so sometimes like some the things that you're told is colored by that other person's emotions and that mm. other person's perspective and um, um, may not always be the honest perspective because someone has told me something as well where I then found out that she only narrated half of the story but <laughs> didn't narrate the other half which was the other person's part of the story which she was aware of and yeah. that made me even extra skeptical or just made me extra conscious of this hadith in particular because you might be quick to like, just be on one person's side but don't not forget that that person could have just said it from their own perspective to make them look favorable in your eyes and then paint the other person in a different light mm. i think it's just guarding your tongue if you don't want people to speak about you in a certain way just don't like speak about but not everybody guards your tongue and then you're here would have heard it before you realize and then <laughs> 
why did you tell did <laughs> i ask you yeah that's true but mind your business <laughs> i've already said one of my first one but the last one was he's one indivisible and wants the human being to be undivided in service to him that name of ease allah had like his oneness being reflected in our acts of service so yeah that's that's all of mine my other one is if you've tried and failed a hundred times your efforts would still have won incalculable gains and i think about this and like you might feel like you're going through i don't know adversity upon adversity you can't seem to have a breakthrough and you're like all of this is pointless mm. but the question is is it really pointless i think from from failing you learn something it might be that you need to try one tiny thing differently this time we need to tweak one other thing so think about the guy that in, that invented the light bulb he said it was from failing a lot right so again a lot of these inventions it comes from failing so many times and then looking at those tiny little things even yeah. in science where we would have to do experiments right and you see how only this 0.001 change is the thing that makes the world of a difference in this thing that you invented or this solution that you're able to come to so it's just one of the ways to reorient your, orientate yourself in terms of like not becoming hopeless or being in a state of despair it's just think about that that even when you failed 100 times, a million times, whatever, there is something to be taken away from those experiences if you sit down and just reflect on it for a second. Yeah, I agree. Great. What's the latest book that you're reading? I'm currently reading um, Don't Touch My Hair by Emma Dabiri. I haven't finished it yet. I just finished, actually, I have to talk about this. I just finished How the Word is Passed by Clint Smith, and it is really, really good. So yeah. it just basically is, he tries to map American history, but like, so he talks about how we, the way American history is written and talked about is without slavery taken into consideration. And we need to have a full view of the country's history to be appreciative of how things have happened. So, for example, we say, oh, why are black people like this? Look at black people, they're in gangs, da, 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 for example, yeah. in America. But do you think about the disparity in the economy from the beginning? We've not always, I mean, now the society is not even equal now, right? Yeah. But let's assume that it is quote unquote equal. Have you thought about the fact that it hasn't even always been like that and slavery is not something of the Asian times it's like 100 years ago even some people were still feeling the impact till very recent times and um, so it puts a lot of things into perspective and what he did was he, visit, he visited I think about eight locations in America so places that used to be plantations and what they become now and to see how they're teaching the history then he visited also um Senegal the point of no return in the Gori Island mm. um, and he interviews the people who work there it works there and he kind of tries to reorient us or get us to think differently about these things they I love that it also included accounts of people who used to be slaves because you have people say oh but there were some good slave owners or slavery wasn't all that bad or and this also saying that we need to have a well-rounded view of people what's this guy's name is put on a pedestal thomas jefferson is put on a pedestal people say oh he's the founding father he was fighting for abolition but this man had slaves being contextual about everything that we teach that we see not being afraid to like confront what you know basically because yes you're going to be uncomfortable but that's that's where you learn it's from that point of discomfort um it's a very 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 good book and he is such a good writer um, and i really appreciated that from him or about him anyway but yeah what are you reading what are you reading it inshallah i finished one book um it's called i've been meaning to tell you by david chariandi and it's like a series I saw your... how did that go it was it was good. Like I I like the writing style, but controversial. I just honestly I don't want to. 
it's gonna come out so wrong i don't want to read books about race i really don't i feel like maybe because i'm just not in a space where i can absorb things that are like heavy heavy so it took me a while to read that but conversations have been rinsed to some extent that i'm not really getting a lot of new insights from the kind of books that i'm reading about the topic that i'm just like I think you like how the word has passed because I think for me, so I did, I've been avoiding books about race for this, for the latter half of this year, at least I've been avoiding anything to race and racism yeah. because it just does, it doesn't do more than like annoy me and then doesn't give me new information. And I think, oh, it just re-traumatizes me. Exactly. <laughs> And then I'm just like, oh my God, why? Yeah. So I love, that's why I loved his approach, particularly um, with with this book. And I didn't leave the book feeling angry. Yeah. And I liked that. I left it feeling like, okay, I should ask more questions. I should think about this differently. But I wasn't angry. And I, I think it, it says a lot about the way he writes and the kind of questions he raises. But I think you'd like this book for that, basically. Um, the other book I'm reading is called Willpower Doesn't Work. And I've read the I've read the first kind of 50 pages before, but then I just decided to read it again because I generally do believe in the concept of environmental engineering. So the whole the whole idea behind the book is that relying on your willpower to get things done is not a it's not something that's feasible in the long run so what you should be doing instead of kind of using up your willpower every day is designing your environment in such a way that the actions that you want to do naturally become something that you do so you're outsourcing like once you kind of make decisions about how you engineer your environment you kind of outsourced decision making to some extent so then the things that you're spending willpower on are it's like it's less as opposed to every day you're having to think about okay I need to use my willpower to make a certain decision etc yeah and I just think after NYC I really do believe in the concept because you don't realize what's possible until you're in a particular environment and you have to rise to the level of your environment <laughs> so I've just been thinking about like ways like the the kind of different things that I can do to engineer my environment here so that's a that's a good book and then I'm reading and the stars were burning brightly which you've actually read but that's such a heavy book as well that I'm literally only reading like a few pages every day because it's about suicide and it, it's quite yeah it's quite heavy but I, I think the concept behind the book is so fascinating because I, and I made it in my notes when I was reading it because essentially you're getting to see the life of someone from everyone else's perspective aside from their perspective because they're dead so it's like that thing of like recreating what someone's life is like without them being there mm-hmm. so that, that's what I find fascinating about the book but I'm only but like you know what it reminds me of that book you know that book with that guy who charts like how the daily rituals of um the writers writing. daily rituals of artists in general Mason Curry. yeah it's, I think it's a book to have it's a really it's a gem yeah. basically mm. yeah she read it oh actually I should write that to my list I should add that to my list I would I think I would read it again because it made several other versions. So there's one I think with called Women at Work Now. Because before it was just writers, but now he has like expanded the fold a lot. Uh, what's his name? Name. <laughs> Mason Curry with an Mason. E. So yeah, C U W R E Y. Mason Curry. Okay. So now he has like the normal one. Then, then I think he has some other ones as well. Um yeah, I'm gonna add that to my reading list you can close up the show so thanks very much anyways thank you everyone that's the end of the show <laughs> thank you for joining us on today's episode of book Conversations. we hope you've gained benefit from the discussion if you've enjoyed this episode remember to like review comment share it with your friends and family and so on and so on 
Book Versations is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and several other platforms. Email us your thoughts at bookversationspod at gmail.com and let us know what books you want us to check out or whatever, like just what you think about what we've said. <laughs> if you have any questions. Uh, anything that um, was wrong that you want to challenge? No, you can challenge, but don't say we said it wrong. <sighs> Joking. Well, sometimes, you can like, sometimes you might you might think you're factually accurate about something you're not. No, I'm just why I said I was joking. I said I was joking. Okay. I said I was joking. <laughs> said I was joking. But, but. <laughs> you can say whatever you want, guys. Um, we welcome we different opinions. Everyone, basically. Till next time, friends. Remember to Remember read. read. Adios. Good for your soul. Bye. Ciao. Ciao. Oh my God, I need to learn how to say bye in Korean. See you guys later.